Scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, and He will sit on His glorious throne, before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Here ends the reading of God's word. Now this is not a parable per se. There's certainly a metaphor going on here, right, about sheep and goats, but but. It seems like Jesus is describing this final judgment. This is a big theme in the Bible, the final judgment, that someday the Messiah would come back to the earth, the Son of Man, as Daniel says, and will judge people. This will be a final judgment. There's no other judgments after this one. One final account of whether you're in or whether you're out and what you did with your life. The Son of Man comes In glory, surrounded by angels, sitting on a throne, and does the judging. And all nations, when it says all nations, it means all peoples. People from every different tongue, ethnicity, race are going to come before him. And he's going to separate them. Like sheep and goats. Now, sheep and goats in that time were kept together. They are basically kind of the same thing in the way they're treated. They're both in the flock. But there were certain times where you had to separate the sheep and the goats. Uh, You would have to maybe do that at night if it was really cool. You might have to watch the goats a little more closely. Um, You might have to do that when you're you're breeding or when you're taking care of the sheep. You need to get a good count and they're all mixed up. You need to do that when you're selling them or when you're going to slaughter. Sheep are generally more valuable and therefore are normally a metaphor for the good. So the, the people of Israel often called the sheep The priests and the kings are often referred to as shepherds. But there's nothing particularly bad about goats at this time. And there's nothing particularly significant about the sorting of the sheep and the goats. 
Um, some people have tried to make a bigger deal out of that, but culturally it doesn't seem to be that way. It just seems like sometimes you had to separate your sheep and your goats, so everybody had seen it happen at least once. And it was a nice little metaphor for how God is separating the people. You guys go over here, and you guys go over here. Okay, now we've separated, and God gives the answer. And in most judgment scenes, the, the real question is, who's going to win? Who's going to be on one side or the other? If you've ever watched any movie with a courtroom in it, you don't know the result of the case. The whole movie is the playing out of the trial, and you don't know how it's going to end. But in this story, you know right away the people on the right and the people on the left. Instantly, you're separated. What's surprising about this story isn't who's in. That's told to you right away. What's surprising is why. What is the basis that Jesus does this judging on? In those days, it would have been thought by most of the Jews that that it was how, how well you did at being Jewish. Were you Jewish? Were you zealous for your religion? Today, we've made it a little bit different. We would talk about being judged whether on you accepted Jesus or not. Maybe we might expect to be uh, questioned a little bit about our religion, but, but we might be as surprised as these first listeners to find out why people were judged a certain way. So Jesus turns to the sheep. And says, inherit the kingdom, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And he gives this list. And if you read the text, it's kind of annoying how often the same list is repeated, right? Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. Jesus repeats it four or five times in the text. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. And those who are there rightly say, Jesus, when did we ever see you naked or in prison? Or thirsty or hungry. When, when was it that this happened? And Jesus says, every time you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And he turns to the goats. says, depart from me. Go to the place prepared for the devil and his angels. You goats go to hell. Because you did not feed me. I was hungry, thirsty, stranger. Same list. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. And the goats say, when, when did we not do that? And he said, whenever you did not do that to the least of these, my brothers, you did not do it to me. So what gets you in is not what we might expect. The disciples, or the, the, the sheep and the goats are not asked about their church attendance, how many times they prayed, not asked about their denominational affiliation. What gets you in and what you're judged on is how you treat others. But there's a debate here in this text about who the others are actually talking about. One reference is to say, well, since it talks about all nations coming in, maybe the discussion is really about all the nations, all who are poor, all who are hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. But there's another reference that makes some people think maybe this is talking specifically about how you treat Christians. The language in the, to the sheep says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now when it says brothers, that doesn't necessarily have to mean Christian. Sometimes in Matthew, brother just means brother. But it is interesting to compare that with Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out his disciples in pairs. And he tells them not to take any money, but to go and to be welcomed into the community. And, and uh, starting in verse 11, it says, Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. 
as you enter a house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone is not, will not receive your words or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah or that town. So Jesus sends out his disciples and even refers to the day of judgment to say how you get treated. That's how those people are going to be judged. So the question in this passage is, does it mean everybody? Does it mean just Christians? Does it mean Christian missionaries? I'm not sure those all need to be mutually exclusive. What if it does mean Christians? And in Matthew, there's certainly a case for that. But what if it also means that everybody we meet is a brother of Christ? What would it mean if we started to live as if Jesus really is among us? As if when we treat other people a certain way, we are doing that to Jesus. But this leads to another important question. How literal is this passage? Did you bump into Jesus yesterday and he was in disguise so you didn't know it? I don't think the text is saying that. I don't think Jesus is hiding out at the supermarket or, or literally living under a bridge over here in Beaver Falls. But I think the point of the passage is bigger than that. I also don't think the text is saying that you're saved really by how you care for other people. It seems to be important, but certainly there are other passages that you say you're saved by faith and not by works, right? What I think is going on here is that when Jesus comes into your life, you ought to live differently. You can't help it. If you're really loved by Christ the way the Bible says you are, if you're really given the grace that God, that the Bible says you're given in the scriptures, How could you not give that grace to other people? How could you be so judgmental? And so how does God know how your heart is? He can judge it by how you treat the weak, how you treat those around you, because because that's what really exposes your heart. But why this list? Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. Because those are generally people that can't offer you much back. Those are people that, that... You serve and you don't really, there's not a lot in it for you, right? Notice Jesus does not say to love the powerful, to care for the rich, to take care of your highest paying customer, to be honorable to the politician or to the person that has something you want. No, Jesus, Jesus picks a list. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. These are people that there's no upside, There's no return on your investment of time into these people. You don't get a lot back. But that's the real test of your character. Can you love people when it's difficult? When there's nothing in it for you? What if we started to think that Jesus was hitchhiking through the valley this past week? What if Jesus was at the soup kitchen? What if Jesus was a jerk to you at work? I don't think Jesus was a jerk to you at work, but what if we start to see the person who's a jerk to you at work as if they might be Jesus and treat them accordingly? What if Jesus got sentenced to prison this week? I remember I was doing work uh, a while back, right about as we first got married. Um, I was doing some prison ministry, volunteering to do prison ministry. We're doing retreats in prison. And I remember talking to somebody at the place I worked about it. And they were talking about their husband and how they would, their husband would never get involved in a ministry like that. 
Because they said those prisoners deserve to go to jail. They were sentenced. We shouldn't do anything to give them any kind of, of, of uh, relief in their punishment. And I thought, wow, you just don't understand grace, do you? You just don't understand the gospel, do you? Should, should they be in prison? Yeah. The, the, Jesus isn't saying, go to prison and get all the people out of prison because they shouldn't be there. Maybe they should be there. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't love and extend grace to people. And that doesn't mean it's easy either, does it? We talk about Jesus in normal clothes. What if we say Jesus illegally immigrated to this country? Whew, that's a tough one, right? Because there's problems with illegal immigration, right? We, we, we've all heard the debates. But, but they're also people, right? How do we as a Christian approach a problem like that? And I'm not trying to get real political in what the answer should be. I'm just saying, as Christians, that's a complicated issue, right? Because we, we, we need to be careful as a country, but I also want to care for people. And that puts me in a really difficult place. But maybe those are exactly the people that I'm supposed to love. The people that are the hardest to love. It was really interesting. I don't know if you followed the, the visit of the Pope to our country, um, but the, the Pope was for about a week here in the States, and he drove security crazy because all the time he was stopping to talk to people. And uh, he, there were a bunch of politicians and a bunch of really important business people that really wanted to meet with the Pope, but the Pope couldn't find time for them because he was occasionally stopping at soup kitchens. He was spending a lot of time with the homeless while he was here. I mean, that's really interesting, right? You would think the Pope would want to have all the most important conversations he can have, but the Pope came over and said, yeah, I've got to do some of that. But I also want to hang out with the poor. And this Pope is having a pretty big impact on the church today. That's got to be our attitude, everybody. Our attitude has got to be not just care about the people that are important, but if Christ has really done something for us, we ought to love those who are maybe unlovable, Maybe hard to love. Maybe people who cannot give much in return. Those who are hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. But before I end this sermon and pray, I, I, I want to say that we're a little bit in danger in this sermon. Because one of the things that we tend to do when we read the Bible is we tend to read the Bible very self-centered. As if the Bible is about us. But i got to make sure you know this. The Bible is never about you. The Bible is always about God, and it always has implications for you, but it's always primarily about God. And so, before we close this text, we've got to make sure we look at it properly, because there's something else going on beyond just this challenge to care for those around us. There is real power in this text going on as it talks about Jesus. I mean, think about Jesus in this text. He's king. He's the son of man. He's the one doing the judging. And think about his specific list. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. And then think about the crucifixion. Jesus is arrested. And he's beaten. And he's stripped. He's abandoned by his friends. Denied by his followers. He doesn't eat. He says from the cross, I thirst. When Jesus gives this list, it's amazing because in just a few more chapters, he's going to be hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. Jesus is going to be mistreated. 
You know what that makes us? Makes us all goats. Because we put him there. Our actions put him there. But the amazing part of the story is God's grace. That that's not the final judgment. That we aren't just going to be judged based on what we do. But we are going to be judged based on grace. Because Jesus was hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and in prison for us. And if we are so loved, and if we have so much grace given to us, then we ought to share that with other people. Not out of fear. Never as Christians should we do it out of fear. Never as Christians should we do it out of obligation. Never as Christians should we be trying to earn our salvation. But we should be responding. Communion is such a beautiful picture of that. Because when we go to the table, we're all equal. We are not alone. We are all brothers and sisters. And Jesus is not just at work in the world in our church. He's at work around the world in different cultures, in different places, in different languages. And World Communion Sunday is this wonderful celebration because all those people, so many in so many denominations, try to make sure we do communion on this day and remember that we are not alone. That we need to be remembering and praying for and caring and supporting our missionaries and Christians around the world. Jesus is at work. So may Jesus be glorified in how we care for others and how we care for one another this week. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare for the table, I pray that you would speak to us in a special way. Lord, let it be a time where we remember those around us. Give us a heart filled with grace and love that we may share it with the world around us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.